You're listening to audio from Citizens Church in Birmingham, Alabama. If you'd like to learn more about Citizens, you can visit our website at citizensbhm.com. We're continuing our Luke series uh, today, right? And uh, Justin did a great job last week kind of walking us through this story of Jesus coming um, into or being invited into Simon's house, right? Um, and this woman who was in the room worshiping at his feet, um, washing his feet with perfume in an act of worship. And so in today's passage, what we'll see is Jesus' call for us to listen And the result of embracing Jesus's word, embracing his message with humble receptivity. And I don't know about you, uh, but when it comes to listening, it's hard, right? Uh, Listening is often something that uh, we talk about in our house, whether that's with Lila or me and Tiff, uh, mostly her, not me. Just kidding, it's all the other way around all the time, right? But you can find yourself, right, in in terms of listening, kind of being passive, right? We sit through maybe a Netflix show and we decided to watch this together, right? But you're actually more distracted by the reels on Instagram than the show that you said you were interested in, right? And so we might wake up 20 minutes later and just go like, what is going on here, right? And it's a show that we've been conditioned kind of to just sit passively and not really engage with what we even said we're interested in, right? And so Jesus is kind of in the same way going to challenge the crowd today to say, hey, listen up. Listen up, pay attention. And we've been studying the the book of of Luke, right? Um, Tiff was uh, joking last night because I said as, as I was practicing the book of Luke, Um, So you can laugh too. But uh, what we see is that Jesus tells a parable, right? And kind of proclaims his kingdom on earth. And there's always some sort of response, right? From the crowd, whether that's good or bad. And so that's what he's going to address today as he talks to the people who are listening to his parable. And he says this parable, right? And this is probably one of the most you know, famous parables, as you probably heard it, as the parable of the sower, right? And with its probably fame also comes its mixed messages, right? Of what is Jesus talking about here when he talks about the soil and the seed and the sower? What is he talking about? And to make it worse, right, we, we have a hard time even figuring out what, how, to, how to understand this, but how to apply it in our lives. And so Jesus is intending to communicate here a simple lesson, but one difficult to embrace. And see, many have been following Jesus for quite some time now, right? The crowd has gathered once again around Jesus to see what he's going to say. And Jesus is going to challenge them to think about the way in which they're receiving his message about the kingdom of God. Remember, there was a lot of confusion during this time of how Jesus would come. Was he coming as a ruler, right? Like there there were many different opinions on how Jesus would come and being born in a manger was not one of them, right? Jesus coming poor in a manger and some barn over there, like that, that wasn't in the books, right? Was not in the cards at all. And so what we'll see is Jesus challenging us kind of to, to think about the way in which we respond to his message as well, right? 
and the fruit that he's willing to cultivate when we receive it with humility. And so in verse four, Jesus starts by telling the parable plain and simple. And then at the end, kind of in Jesus' fashion, he's going to kind of drop the mic, right, on the whole room. Read with me verse four. It says, while a large crowd was gathering, people were coming to Jesus from town after town, right? He told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds ate it up, and some fell on rocky ground. And when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. And still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. When he said this, he called out, dropped the mic, right? Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. And so we see that the sower is kind of going about spreading this seed in a certain way. See, they didn't have John Deere's back then, right? Like they actually had to put a basket on themselves and start walking down the field. And as they took the seed, they would spread it out and some seed would fall in path and some seed would fall on good soil, right? There was no telling what would happen when they threw the seed as they typically didn't even plow the fields, right? Before throwing the seed. And so even the way in which they're, as they're throwing the seed, they're accounting for this missed seed, right? And they're hoping that they would get some crop at the end. And what Jesus is saying here is kind of earth shattering for them because he's using something that's very common, right? In their towns to be able to grow their own food by throwing seed. I mean, talk about the organic kings, right? I mean, they're throwing seed, they're growing their stuff, they're eating that stuff, right? Um, no McDonald's out there. And, and he talks about four soils, right? Like he, he talks about four soils and I want to kind of help us visualize what those soils are, right? As we kind of break it down, right? He talks about the path and he says that as the, the seed fell on the path, that, that, that was trampled, right? And then the birds were feasting, right? So good day for the birds there. But then the other seed fell on rocky ground and plants withered. And the ones on the thorns, the plants choked. And then notice when he talks about the good soil, he says they yielded a hundred X crop, right? This is like buying Bitcoin in 2010. I mean, this is like for them, right? This was not common. A hundred X would not have been common in their time as they threw their seed in a field that wasn't plowed, right? To get. So good day for them, right? Like this is good news for the crowd, but it also would have shocked them as it was very extravagant, right? And after outlining this entire parable, Jesus is going to say, let anyone who, who has ears to hear, listen, and I'll be honest, I, I, at this point and throughout this week, I've kind of been scratching my head, right? As Jesus says, let anyone who has ears to hear listen, right? The crowd probably was scratching their heads too, thinking like, I got ears. Like, what, what is he talking about, right? See, like I was saying before, right? Listening is, is hard. How often do we find ourselves in conversations we have no clue what's going on? 
whether that's our, at work or in conversations with your friends, right? I remember being a kid in school and, and my teacher coming by and saying, what are we talking about? And boy, the heart starts pumping, right? Because you, you got no clue, but I'm going to start formulating something, right? So we're going to start, we're going to go down fighting, right? So, but it's hard. It's hard to listen, right? And that really doesn't change. I mean, sure, kids don't listen. You can see that in Lila all the time, but that doesn't, that doesn't change when you're an adult, right? I joke with Ben Bailey, this always, this always turns into, man, that's crazy. You know, tell me something, man. Yeah, wild. Crazy, right? You don't, have a, you don't have a clue what's going on. You just throw that in there to fill out space and then hope you can just move on with the conversation. So hold me accountable, okay? I will say that's crazy, bro. <laughs> but, but in the same way, right, and, and this happens a lot in our house, right? Tiffany says, did you hear what I said? And I, I heard it. But when she's asking me, did you hear what I said? She's not asking me, did you audibly hear what I said? What she's asking me was, did you pay attention, right? Did you actually listen to what I had to say? Did you understand what I was trying to communicate? And this is exactly what Jesus is kind of challenging the crowd here to say, hey, I know you're here. You're all gathering. You're coming from other towns. I mean, think about this. This is like Taylor Swift on steroids, right? People are coming from everywhere to see Jesus, right? And he's saying, hey, you're not listening. You don't get my message. Because in order for us to truly listen to the word of God, we must understand it but we must obey it as well. Not simply just hear the words. And this is why you're able to meet people, right? Who have been in church for years and they maybe know the doctrine and they know the theology, right? But when, they, when you look at their lives, their lives aren't changed in any way, right? Because the word of God has not slowly gotten to their hearts because they have not embraced it. And church, this should be a wake-up call for us as well, right? should be a wake-up call because how often do we just come to church, sit through the worship, sit through the sermon, we don't engage, we don't listen carefully. If you ask me at 2 p.m. what the pastor preached, whoo, that's tough, right? Like, and so we can sit through here just excusing it, right? Saying, man, I'm just tired today, right? Or, man, this service is too early. 9 a.m., like... I can't pay attention at 9 a.m. I'm barely awake, right? But see, Jesus' message isn't something we can simply passively observe. Jesus' message is something we need to engage with and something we need to respond to. And that's exactly what Jesus is confronting here. And you may still be wondering, right, kind of like, that's cool. I know I need to listen, but what's going on in this passage, right? And the good news is the disciples were confused too. I mean, think about the people who were walking with Jesus every single day, having lunch with Jesus, you know, going from town to town with Jesus. And they go like, what are you talking about, Jesus? And so Jesus, as a kind man that he is, he's going to go ahead and explain it, right? And so when in verse 9, it says his disciples asked him what this parable meant. 
And he said, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God have been given to you, but to others I speak in parables so that though seeing, they may not see, though hearing, they may not understand. See here, Jesus is going to begin to explain the parable more simply to his disciples, but he reminds the disciples that they have been given the knowledge of the secrets or of the mystery of the kingdom of God, right? And then he uses a line from Isaiah 6, which would have shocked the crowd into listening, right? Because they would have been familiar with this line. And so he's, he's telling the people to listen closely. Because in a way, Jesus turns to his disciples because he knows that the loyalty of this crowd will be fickle. He knows that the loyalty of the disciples is also going to be fickle, right? As soon as he's crucified and the disciples are questioned and they go, I don't know that guy. And so Jesus wants to remind them and to call them out to know that his message about the kingdom of God is greater and bigger than what they think it is. Jesus is saying, hey, the only reason you disciples are even able to understand my message is because I've allowed you to understand that message, right? Jesus knows. I mean, think about walking every single day with these guys, knowing that as soon as you die, I mean, they're going to go like, I don't know. That would be tough, right? I mean, talk about something only God can do, right? Think about if, if you have to walk every day knowing somebody five years down, the, three years down the road is going to betray you, right? Tough stuff. That's what he is confronting here. And this is where this parable, although it may seem like this parable where we just have to do better, right? Maybe we have to be better soil. Is actually the opposite, right? It's a, it's a parable of hope that no matter how good you are, no matter how, how bad you are, Jesus is actually the one who is able to save you. And he's the only one that's able to create in us a desire for his word with humility, right? That's why we can ask God, God, help me understand. God, grow me, right? Help me to obey your word. And he's promised to us that if we ask, he will deliver, right? And so in verse 11, Jesus begins to explain this parable as he says, this is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Very helpful clarification from Jesus, right? Those along the path are are the ones who hear and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on rocky ground are the ones who receive the word of God with joy when they hear it, but then they have no root. And they believe for a while, but in time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on in their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they don't mature. But the seed on good soil sends for those with a noble and good heart 
who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. And so as Jesus explains this parable, right, he's focusing on these four different types of soils, which are ultimately four different types of responses. And he's going to actually explain how people are receiving his message. And what's interesting is if you go look through all the parables and through all the teachings of Jesus, we always see one of these responses through it. He lists out four responses, and we always see people responding in these categories, right? First, Jesus talks about the seed that fell on the path, right? He says that these are like those who hear, and the devil comes and takes away their, the word from their hearts, right? And the helpful way for us to think about this is people who hear Jesus' message and just simply think he's wrong, right? Maybe they... They've been hearing the gospel and they just go, ah, I don't know, man. I don't know if Jesus is real. I don't know if his word is true. And if you look at the gospels, right, the perfect example of this would be kind of the Pharisees, right? Every time Jesus turns around, they try to question him thinking, nah, he can't be true. He can't be right. Never always questioning Jesus, yet never grasping the message of his kingdom. And secondly, Jesus explains that the person who receives his message as rocky soils are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but then they have no root, right? And a good, good way to think about this is people who are maybe interested in Jesus, right? They're curious about Jesus for a while, but then the word kind of never takes root, right? Maybe they've been in church for a while. And then they kind of just move on, right? And the perfect example of this is Simon, right? From last week. Like, Simon's interested in Jesus. Curious enough to say, Jesus, come to my home. But Simon never really gets the message, right? It takes the woman who was ignored in the room to stand up and worship at Jesus' feet. And Simon and his friends kind of miss it all together, right? Thirdly, we see that Jesus calls the thorny soil, which is those who hear the word, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, pleasures, and they don't mature. And perhaps the perfect example of this, right, is the rich young ruler. I mean, Jesus comes and he says, hey, you have to sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And the rich young ruler goes like, oh, I don't know about that, right? I mean, Jesus is asking someone something of him and he even promises, he says, hey, I'll give you the treasures of heaven. I mean, talk about a return on investment, right? And he goes, no, nah, I think I'm good, right? He never seemed to get it because he was too preoccupied perhaps with his status, right? His recognition in the community, maybe his own physical wealth that he could probably see back then, right? And he misses Jesus altogether. And this is a theme that's going to repeat itself over and over and over again, right? As Jesus teaches, I mean, we know how it ended for Judas, right? And lastly, Jesus calls kind of the good soil. And the good news is, right, we actually have a lot of examples in the Bible of good soil, right? 
of Jesus' message, changing lives, um, and producing 100x fruit. I mean, we'll see the story later on, right? In chapter 19 of Zacchaeus. And I love this story, right? Because Jesus is just walking down the street and he sees this man and he says, yo, Zacchaeus, I'm coming over. I mean, he's like, I'm not going to ask this guy if I can come. I'm, I'm coming, you know? I love that. And Zacchaeus, we see how he responds, right? He responds with gladness. He's like, yeah, come over, Jesus. And we'll see it in, in, in chapter 21 as he's, as he's talking uh, about this uh, lady who's giving her offering, right? And she's giving out of poverty. Talk about the opposite of what thorny soil would be. And so countless examples, we see this list going on and on of people responding to Jesus' message and their life being changed. And the question here for us to ask, church, is where are we at? Right? So perhaps you're in the space where the teachings of Jesus, you're just like, I don't know if I can get there. Right? Just think he's wrong. And, and to you, I want to say, Jesus is wide open. Right? We can come to Jesus with our doubts. We can come to Jesus with our confusion, with our pain, right? With our experiences and lay them before him because he's a patient father that actually listens, right? And we can express our doubts to him and we can trust him for who he is. Maybe you're like rocky soil, right? Maybe... You just, you know, you've heard the message about Jesus. You kind of get it, right? You, you see the community that, of believers and you think, hey, that's, that's really cool. I kind of don't see that happening anywhere, right? Definitely not, not happening at work. And, and you're kind of drawn in by this message, but the reality is you're actually indifferent to it. And I just want to say that's okay, right? That's okay. But Jesus isn't calling us to just be spectators, right? He's calling us to be participators in his mission. And so in order for us to enjoy the fullness of community and enjoy the peace that comes from God, that only he can offer, we need to surrender to him and embrace everything from his message. And the third one is perhaps the, the one that probably most of us are tempted towards, right? I mean, perhaps it's, you know, this idea that's promised to us of power, maybe freedom, getting to the top, right? Maybe we understand Jesus' words intellectually, Right? We understand the theology, but it's not made its way down into our hearts. And so as we see that in our life, right, we need to kind of ask the question, why? Why are we tempted by this? Why are we tempted by the promise of having power or having a good job or having the nice house or the nice car or being a success or seeming a success to others, right? Like, why am I, why am I hoping to be associated with a certain type of people? And if you're there, my question to you is just, how's that going? Because it's exhausting, right? 
It's exhausting to have to keep up with the things that are constantly bombarded at us through our phones, right? Through, through other people, through the culture. Are you exhausted from just trying to make sure that people see you exactly the way you want? You find yourself disappointed maybe with yourself because if I could only do this, right? Or if I could only have that, or if I could only be here, or if I could only have this friend, if I could only have this church, then I feel better, right? And see, church, Jesus is saying, in order to follow me, we kind of have to leave this stuff behind, right? You must leave the things behind you and trust him completely. And that's why, church, this serves as an exercise for us to keep our hearts in check, right? To ask, what are the things in my heart that are pulling at me that make me want that more than Jesus? Jesus is explaining, hey, in order to bear fruit, in order to cultivate fruit in our lives, then we have to be fully dependent on him. We must not only understand his message, right? But we need to be transformed by his message and embrace it. And that's where the real work of sanctification happens in our life, right? And we leave the things behind us and we focus on Jesus. As we look at Jesus, Jesus becomes more beautiful to us. And Jesus is going to kind of close everything out with the crowd by talking about a lampstand. And he says, no one lights a lamp and hides it in a clay jar or puts it under a bed. Instead, they put it on on the stand so that those who come in can see the light. For there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed or nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Whoever has, uh, whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they think they have will be taken away from them. See, Jesus is now comparing his word, which he clarified for us in the previous verses, right, to a lamp or a candle. He's essentially saying, hey, the more we hear God's word in our life, the more we will be able to receive. And that's where this exercise, right, of preaching the word of God and listening to the word of God preached each Sunday is actually an exercise through which we fill the wells of our heart and feed on this feast that Jesus has prepared for us. Here's the deal, church. With Jesus, there's no neutral, right? You can't just hang out in the back room, right? With Jesus, you're either pursuing him and moving towards the things of God or you're not. There is no middle ground. That's exactly why when we, when we come to church to listen to the preaching and, you know, and, and actually engage, our gathering is designed to be able to steer our affections towards Jesus. So I want to encourage you, church, right? Part of, part of our gathering is to evaluate the way in which we see Jesus every week, right? This is kind of a central moment where I can stop during the week and think about my week and say, is Jesus still at the center of how I operate in my life? 
Because I can say that Jesus is at the center, right? All day. We can sing about Jesus being at the center all day. But is he truly at the center every single day of your life? And so these services are designed for us to reorient our affections, reorient our minds to the things of God. And so if you simply come here and passively engage in worship, maybe you're sort of distracted during the sermon. Maybe you're like, hey, I just got to get to lunch. I got to get out of here. You're thinking about the burger you're going to have, right? Like, I want to encourage you. We are called to respond to the word of God. And we are called to respond to the word of God and engage with it in singing, right? It's not optional. It's not cool. It's not something we came up with. It's Jesus saying, hey, I want people to worship me. We are called to respond to his word as the word is being preached that we would open our hearts and be kind of like Samuel, right? Lying there saying, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening, right? We want to have that kind of posture as we hear sermons, as we hear the word preached, that we would open our hearts and say, Jesus, what needs to change in my life so that my life is more reoriented towards the things that you care about? In another sense, what Jesus is saying here is that if you've received the word of God with humility and joy and have responded to his message in your life, then you have something that the world needs to know about, right? We have something to display to the world. He's talking about a lamp which would have been used to illuminate a room and I know some of us, that's kind of like foreign, right? We use, we're used to candles as like, I want to get that candle from anthropology so my house smells good, right? This isn't it. I mean, this is like candles used to illuminate a room because there, there was no power, right? There was no electricity. I remember when I moved to the Dominican Republic as a kid, uh, my parents were missionaries. I remember being there the first night. And literally sitting and never having seen the power go out, right? I mean, other than hurricanes in Miami. And I'm sitting there and the power goes out as we're having a meal. And within like five seconds, I mean, these people were ready, right? It's like there's candles everywhere and the room's lit up. And that's what Jesus is kind of describing here. And he's saying, how weird would it be if you take all those candles and you put them under the table? How weird would it be to just hide the light and see with Jesus, you can't hide the light, right? And so what Jesus is trying to explain is that we as Christians have a light that we need to let shine to others as well. And as we're obedient to his word and as the word does a work in our hearts, then that light will shine. That's why that song, this little light of mine is good, right? Like, it's on point. As the light shines in us, it will be a testament to others of what has changed in our life. And this isn't like, hey, I saw a nice video of like, stacking up my days on Instagram or anything of that, right? This is like, my life has been changed type stuff, right? This isn't help, self-help stuff. This is a living and breathing word of God doing the work in our lives that only he can do. And as that happens, right, that's going to explode. 
And I love how, how Jesus ends it with the crowd, right? Because once again, he's kind of dropped the mic on them. He says, the crowds are telling Jesus, yo, your fam is here, Jesus. But they can't get through, right? Like, there's so many people here. They can't get through. And we see Jesus' response. He says, my mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. And now let me say this, right? Jesus is a big family guy. He's not, he's not hating on his family. He's not dismissing his family. He's not telling you to dismiss your family because you've been brought into a new family of Jesus. But Jesus is making a point to the eternal reality that we have as Christians that when we become, when we become Christians, we are brought into this new family that is not perfect by any means, Right? just like your family, but brought into this new family where we can enjoy life together. And church, that's a big comfort, right? That we as believers have a new family that is full of love for one another and is centered around following Jesus in his way. I know I can testify to that, right? I, I remember being in the hospital with Lila many days, right? When she was born. And sitting there with other people who would pray for us and bring us meals, right? Who would share with us during a difficult time in our life. And that's evidence that the word changes our hearts, right? That the word of God, when it changes people and we follow in obedience, there is a real, tangible, physical result of it and that we're designed as a community to support each other in the good times right and celebrate the good but we're also meant to be as a community that supports each other when times are tough and that's the beauty of the gospel changing people's lives to reorient to say hey i'm going to care for the people around us trust me that's not the message of the culture to us today right it's all about me my freedom how much money can i make right? How can I be successful? How can I do this? How can I do that? That's not what the Bible's talking about, right? And when the word of God changes our hearts, then we are reoriented to say, hey, I'm going to care about the people around us. That's part of the light of Jesus shining, right? That Jesus has illuminated us in our hearts and then our light is now shining so that we can go and care for others. And then guess what? The world is going to look at like, go like, what is going on over there, right? Like, what's going on over there? Because that's not normal, you know? That's not my experience at work. That's not my experience when I go to Chick-fil-A, as nice as they are, right? Like, that's not normal. And so Jesus uses that, right, as he changes our hearts, as, he, as his light shines through the darkness of our soul, he uses that to tell others about what has happened in our life. Because the light of Jesus always moves forward. And so church, what do we do with all this, right? Like, how do we actually become more attentive to God's message and respond appropriately. And I want to leave you with kind of three things, right, that we can be thinking about as we practice and growing in attentiveness to Jesus' message. And the first one is kind of going to blow your minds, right? 
And it's pay attention. I mean, part of the times when I'm not listening, right, is because I'm not paying attention. And so Jesus is calling us to, hey, wake up, listen up. Listen to my message. It's not simply a matter of hearing it, but actually going through with it. And in a world where it's mastered the craft of feeding us distractions, whether that's social media or whatever that is in your life, right? In order to receive God's message, we kind of have to cut through that and pay attention to what he's saying. I mean, Proverbs 18, 13 tells us to answer before listening is folly or shame, right? Which means in order for us to respond to Jesus' message, we have to pay attention first. We have to listen to what Jesus is saying. And the second one is we are to receive his message with a humble posture. Church, oftentimes we hear the message of Jesus, right? And it can trigger many responses in us. It can trigger a lot of feelings in us. Maybe we feel skeptical. Maybe we feel doubtful. Maybe we're cynical towards those who are communicating God's message, right? But church, God wants us to not only hear his message, but in the humble posture of receiving. That's why every week, right, when we sing the doxology as our benediction, we raise our hands in a humble posture of receiving, right? Knowing that Jesus is message and his word is something we need to receive as we go out to be light into the world. And if you have feelings about his message, right? Bring them to Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate listener, right? We can bring things to him knowing that he's perfectly going to hear, not kind of like, what I hear you saying is, no, Jesus hears you, right? Jesus understands. It's not going to be an argument with Jesus. And lastly, church, we need to respond appropriately, right? Think about this for a second, that the God of the universe came to earth, lived the perfect life so that we could have life in him. And he's, called, he's given us this message of the kingdom of God that one day we will enjoy him forever, but he's calling us to obey what he has to say, Right? He's calling us to respond. And so when we come here to reorient our hearts each week, church, we are to respond to his message, just like Zacchaeus, with gladness. That as we hear the, the, the songs that are being sung, that Jesus is worthy of our praise, that should strike something in my heart to sing. There is nothing else that is more worthy than you, Jesus, in my heart. And so I respond with gladness, knowing that Jesus, you are worth it. And we do it. We do it with sports, right? I mean, the NBA finals are going on right now. Just look at the gladness, right? So, so this, is, this is a message that requires for us to embody a response to Jesus. And in the same way, when the word is being preached, the liturgy is being spoken, we are to respond to Jesus and ask, Jesus, what is it in my heart that I hold on to so hard? What is it in my heart that needs to change in order for me to really get excited about you, Jesus? Right? What is it in my heart that I need to surrender? And church, this, this isn't a passage, right? Um, just telling us, hey, we need to do better. Or, hey, you should not be the path. You should be the good soil. 
right? No, this is a, this is a, a parable of hope. Parable where Jesus, right, is giving us his word and he desires for us to cultivate, he desires to cultivate fruit in our lives, right? It's, a, it's Jesus desired for us to flourish. And so we can respond to that knowing that Jesus will give us as much of him as we ask. We can, church, listen carefully to his word as he says, right? And respond with humility, obeying his word, wherever he leads. Amen? Church, Jesus promises an abundance of life. That's what the Bible tells us. Jesus promises an abundance of life, and all we need to do is trust.